0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Synod podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. You can bring to mind the the nervous energy that perhaps you feel when you meet someone for the first time. Perhaps you've been in a setting where you're going into a new job or maybe you've transferred teams at your workplace and you're walking into this office full of people and you don't know them and you don't quite know what it's going to be like. Will they be, be nice? Will they be easy going? Will you be able to get on OK? with that group of people. Or, or, or maybe that's not what comes to mind. Maybe like it's a, it's a first date that comes to mind. So you've been set up or you've been chatting with someone online, but you actually are gonna meet them. It's like, yeah, I'm nervous. Will this be a good experience? Will this be enjoyable? Will this be safe? Um, I remember when I first went to university, uh, and I can definitely identify with the feeling at that moment, so my parents had driven me down to to Norwich, which was the the city I went to uni in, yeah, exactly, East Anglia, Um, and, and so we moved all my stuff into my room, and I'd spent with my parents got some lunch but there came a point in the afternoon that they left and they drove back to Sheffield and I was just there in my room and I knew I was going to have to make that walk into the shared kitchen and see who was there and see what these people were like I can remember the butterflies in my stomach will these be my friends for the next few years or will these be people who are who I don't get on with who are difficult and who make it a not so good experience I wonder if you've ever had that same kind of sensation of what will this be like if you think about meeting with Jesus? So I don't know what your faith background is. Maybe you've been around church for a while. Maybe you're newer to it. But go back to that moment, whether now or in the past, when you were first exploring, first thinking about faith. And the idea of people talk about knowing Jesus, about meeting with Jesus what will that be like will that be positive will that be something that's affirming will that be something that's that's good or uh, am I worried about it are there things about it that make me nervous over the last few weeks and into the coming weeks we've been looking here at, at church into a book in the bible called John's gospel so this is one of the gospel accounts written about jesus by one of his closest followers and he sets out right at the end of his in chapter 20 what he's trying to do so he explains the purposes that he's been writing for and he says Jesus did many other signs but these are written so you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that through believing you may have life in his name so he said I'm going to tell you some things about Jesus so that you will believe and if you believe you'll have eternal life. He said, I want you to meet with Jesus for yourself and find eternal life in doing so. And so what we see is a a range of different kinds of things that he's including. There's quite a lot of things that is Jesus talking. There are discourses where Jesus explains things about who he is. And there are also moments where we see snapshots into different encounters that people had with Jesus, different moments that they would meet him and we see what is it like to meet Jesus through the eyes of these different characters that he interacts with and that's what we've got today. We've got one of those meetings that Jesus has with somebody and as we look into this story I think it might help us see what it's like when we meet with Jesus as well. So, if you have a Bible with you, turn to John chapter 4, or if you've got an app, like load up the app and take it to John 4. Um, And it's a relatively long reading today. We'll go from verse 3 all the way through to verse 30. And just as we read it, just try and get immersed in the story. Just try and get drawn along by the narrative of this conversation. Try and picture yourself there, if you can. So, John chapter 4. He, that's Jesus, left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Those who drink of the water I will give them, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. The one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. I wonder what strikes you about that story. I wonder what stood out as I was reading it. What did you notice? The first thing that struck me as as I've read through this account is just how warm And welcoming that Jesus was towards this woman. I started by talking about that nervous energy. What would it be like when I meet such and such a person? Perhaps that's even how you felt walking into this room today. What will it be like when I meet these people? We can fear that, can't we? And I suspect as this woman was walking towards the well, and saw Jesus there, kind of just sitting there, leaning on the well, that perhaps there's a nervousness. Perhaps there's a sense, how will this go? What kind of encounter will this be? Will I be welcome? Will I be safe? Will I be accepted? Will this be okay? I remember a few years ago, I was invited to a meeting down in London. and It was basically people who were involved in different uh, training and theology initiatives. And I, I saw the list of who'd been invited to this meeting. And I was like, I've read a book by that person. And I, I, that person, their podcast is on my like subscribe every week list. And I've heard of them and I've heard of them. And I bet hardly any of these people know who I am. Why have I been invited to this meeting? What will I have to bring? I had this sense of Imposter syndrome, they call it, don't they? like, well, what will happen? Will this be okay? And actually it was great. Like the people there were very friendly and very warm. But I had this nervousness. Will I find welcome? I suspect this woman had that and more so. And actually there's real grounds why she might be worried about what would happen in this encounter because a lot of the social norms of the day, actually Jesus had to cut across them in order to have this positive interaction with her. So one of them is the the racial side of it. So she was Samaritan, he was Jewish. The ancient Samaritans and the ancient Jews had quite a lot of tension between them. Well, I'll just give you a bit of the background. So, So what had happened is, years before, centuries before, they'd all been one kingdom. And then there'd been a civil war. It had split into a northern part and a southern part. And then at various times, both had been conquered by foreign nations. But in the north, what had happened is they would basically blended in to the nations that had conquered them. So they'd intermarried. So ethnically, they were a mix. They culturally had absorbed a lot of the culture of the nations that had taken them over. Religion-wise, they'd taken on board a lot of the religious. So they still kept part of the Old Testament religion, but it was mashed up with a whole bunch of other things. Whereas in the southern kingdom, they'd done things a little bit differently. They'd ended up coming back to the land. They'd had a bit of a renewed focus on the Old Testament law and some of the things God had said. And had a much more distinct identity, thinking of themselves as the people of God and the promises that had been made. And so what they do is they look at their neighbours to the north and think... They're sellouts, they are. They haven't kept this thing going with the same kind of purity that we have. They don't have the same zeal for God that we do. They're kind of one foot in, one foot out. Sort of half in the world, half in the things of God. They're a bit of both. And if we want revival, we want the presence of God to come, don't we need everybody to be going full out for God? They're the problem. They're they're, they're a real issue. They're, They're people that we should look down on. That was the the feeling that many of the ancient Jews had towards the ancient Samaritans. On the other hand, the ancient Samaritans are looking over their southern border thinking, come on, chill out, guys. Why are you just constantly looking at us with this judginess? Why are you on our backs about everything we're doing? Why are we facing such hostility? And and so this expectation of tension and and the relationship between them was was not good. There there was this real kind of cold war. People didn't really talk to each other very much and i've got a map here uh, that perhaps i can show you so this is a bit of a map of the area so judea that bit is the southern kingdom that i was talking about then you've got samaria above it and further north than that is galilee now you probably knew that galilee is where jesus grew up and people from galilee would often have to come down into judea to get to jerusalem for all the feasts and the festivals So they had this journey to make. And Samaria is slap bang in the middle. And what people typically would do is they'd go the long way round, So they didn't have to even go through Samaria. They didn't have to risk having to engage with Samaritan people. They'd come out here, up and across. But on this occasion, Jesus is going right through Samaria. And so it's surprising to this woman to see somebody like Jesus there. She even says it in verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. So this is unusual. This is unexpected. Maybe when she sees this Jewish man by the well, she's expecting to be ignored maybe. Maybe she's thinking they'll, they'll just blank each other. She'll get her water. She won't say anything. He won't say anything. She can go on her way. Maybe she's expecting worse. Maybe she's expecting hostility that uh, harsh words perhaps will be exchanged. Maybe scowls and glowers and these looks. Perhaps that's what she's expecting. And in fact, when they do get into conversation, She even brings it up. She brings up some of the issues and the divides. We worship on the mountain. You worship in the temple. She's basically saying, oh, we've got some, some big theological differences as well, haven't we? Do you want to speak into that one? And Jesus just cuts through it all. There is a day coming. It's not about the mountain. It's not about the temple. The Father is looking for those who will worship in spirit and in truth. He's looking for those from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue who will receive him who will worship him from their very spirits. He cuts right through. This is a huge issue in the New Testament. Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's why at School of Theology next week we want to dig into this. and Because if you don't see how central this is to the message of the New Testament, you're not really reading the New Testament. It's there in pretty much every book. So that was one of the ways that she might have had this worry about the kind of reception she'd get. Another one, perhaps, is to do with gender. So he's a man, she's a woman. And that might have been another reason that she feared what this interaction might be. In fact, I don't know if you noticed in verse 27, the disciples, they're always pretty blunt, the disciples, aren't they, and just say what they're thinking. It says, they were astonished that... He was speaking with a woman. They were surprised. They, they couldn't believe it. Why? Wow, he's talking with a woman. Like, what is going on here? Was the feeling that they had. And perhaps it's not just the disciples who would have been surprised by this, because again, by the culture and the way of things in that day, this would have been very unusual. It wouldn't have happened very often for a respectable male Jewish religious leader to be striking up a conversation with a woman that he meets by a well. And there are different reasons behind this. I think mean, part of it is just prejudice and patriarchal attitudes. They pray prayers like, God, I thank you that I'm not a woman, a Gentile or a slave. That shows something of the heart and the attitude they would bring in. Perhaps also there's a fear of, how will this look? Will this give the wrong idea? Will people misread what I'm trying to do by striking up this conversation. Maybe it's an ancient equivalent of the Billy Graham rule. I don't know if um, you're familiar with this. So uh, the evangelist Billy Graham would uh, have a whole bunch of things that, like practices he put in place. And one of them was. I will never have a one-on-one conversation with any, wo- with any woman who isn't my wife. And you can kind of see his good intent behind it. He's trying to safeguard his marriage. And you can also see, well, that's pretty dehumanizing. That's pretty disrespectful, isn't it? If you Even to have a conversation, I'm seeing that primarily as threat. And many others, it's not just a Billy Graham thing, Like many others have taken that same thing on. But Jesus here, he doesn't keep to the Billy Graham rule. He'll have this conversation. He'll do so in a way that he's not being superior in how he acts. He's not acting in a way that's sleazy. He's not acting in a way that's dismissive. He's not treating her as a threat to keep at arm's length. Instead, he's humanizing her. He's dignifying her and he's engaging in a normal conversation with her. Too often in religious spaces, people can get all weird about this kind of stuff. The Bible encourages us, treat each other as brothers and sisters. If we can do that, we're on the right lines. I think the third part of it, though, why she might have been worried, is to do with shame. Think about how her life has gone. The conversation gets to the topic of marriage, and it comes out that she's had five marriages in the past that are not her current relationship. Now, We don't know the circumstances around those marriages. We don't know how they ended. We don't know if she's been widowed, perhaps on multiple occasions. We don't know if she's been divorced on multiple occasions. And if she has been divorced, we don't know what the circumstances around those divorces were. Would it be um, initiated by her? Possibly. More likely, again, thinking of cultural context, it would be initiated by the men. Would it be because of things that she's done? Possibly. Or would it be people acting in ways that are not good towards her? Quite probably. Throughout it all, what we do know, even though we don't know the individual circumstances, we we can infer she's carrying a heck of a lot of pain and a heck of a lot of shame from this track record of marriages that haven't worked out. And then think about the societal response to her. We're told that this story happens in the middle of the day and she was on her own. That was really unusual. That's not the way that the women in those towns would go and get the water. They wouldn't go in the middle of the day because it's the Middle East and the middle of the day is hot, like really hot. So you don't go out carrying your water then. You go out in the early morning light when it hasn't got quite as hot. You typically don't make this big, long journey out of town on your own. It puts you in a vulnerable position, doesn't it? It exposes you to all sorts of risk. What would typically happen is there'd be a big group of the women go from the town together at the start of the day, and we see that she's not part of the group. We see that she's excluded from this normal community practice. And Again, we don't know whose decision that was. Perhaps. That came about as a result of the other people saying, no, you can't come with us. No, we we see your life. We see your shame. We see all that you've been through. We're going to put you at arm's length. Maybe. Maybe it was something that came from her. Maybe she's carrying all this pain and shame. It's like she can't face it. She can't face bringing herself into this community, knowing who she is and what she's been through. Shame can make us want to hide, can't it? But for Jesus, it's no barrier. And it's not that Jesus doesn't know, and it's not that Jesus does this very British thing of like, well, we, we both know this is a thing, but let's pretend it's not and never mention it and nobody ever bring it up and, and just kind of act as this. He goes there. He opens up the painful conversation. And, like, when she says, I have no husband, he recounts back to her her history. But it doesn't stop him wanting to have the conversation. It doesn't stop him wanting to be warm. It doesn't stop him wanting to welcome her in. Maybe you identify with her feeling. Maybe you're here this morning knowing that you carry shame, knowing that you carry pain, knowing that the things that you've done or things that have been done to you are weighing heavily on you. And and there's this fear. Could anyone accept me? Could Jesus accept me. And we see in this story that the answer is yes. He sees it all and he still engages her with warmth and welcome anyway. That's what you find when you come to Jesus. He cuts through the barriers and he accepts people in. I don't know how many of you were around last week when we heard John chapter 3 opened up and uh, Rob was looking at this story of Nicodemus and Jesus. And I think we're meant to see some links between these two stories. In many ways, they're contrasts between each other. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. This encounter with the woman happens in the middle of the day. That's a stark contrast. Those details are added for a reason. Nicodemus starts a conversation with Jesus. It's Jesus who starts the conversation with this woman. Nicodemus is everything you could think of in terms of high status in society. He's Jewish, he's male, he's a religious leader, he's respected. Here we've got a woman who's Samaritan, female, an outsider, and full of shame, and yet we see so many parallels as well. In fact, one of the commentators puts it this way, John may intend a contrast between the woman and Nicodemus. He was learned, powerful, respected, orthodox, theologically trained. She was unschooled, without influence, despised, capable of only folk religion. He was a man, a Jew, a ruler. She was a woman, a Samaritan, a moral outcast. And both needed Jesus. I think that line at the end really drives it home both. Whatever background you're coming from, whether you see more of Nicodemus in yourself, whether you see more of this woman in yourself, whether you see a bit of both, that end sentence is true. Both need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. And Jesus is ready to welcome each of us in. The other contrast between these, those two stories that I found interesting is the Nicodemus one. It's kind of left hanging a bit. We don't really know what he does at this point in the story as a result of that conversation, whereas this woman is ready to wholeheartedly respond. He is the Messiah. I'm going to tell everyone. So Jesus welcomes. The other thing that struck me as I read through this story is how Jesus satisfies. They have this conversation about Water, but it's also not really about water. So it starts, isn't it interesting, at the beginning, how dignifying Jesus is towards her, how his question is, can I have a drink, please? He's not starting off with, right, I know all the things that you need, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to come up with this program to sort your life out. He's actually bringing a bit of his own need. He's bringing a bit of his own vulnerability. He's opening up, I'm thirsty, could you help me. I find that so inspiringly gentle and warm, isn't it? Like, you might think of it this way, Jesus is Lord, but you don't find him lording it over you in the way he acts. And yet the conversation quickly moves on to this thing that he calls living water. He moves beyond the physical water into something else. And this is a reference to something that's talked about in the Old Testament. So there's a prophet in the Old Testament called Jeremiah. And Jeremiah came at a time when society was in a pretty bleak place. So people weren't living in ways that honoured God. They were worshipping all sorts of false gods. They were living in ways that were very uh, mean towards one another. They were mistreating the poor amongst them. There were lots of abusive, dark practices within that society. And so Jeremiah was bringing some of God's analysis what's gone wrong bringing a bit of rebuke a bit of a call to turn back to God and bringing some hope as well and one of the things he said in chapter two is this my people have committed two evils they've forsaken me the fountain of living water and they've dug out cisterns for themselves cracked cisterns that could hold no water he's saying because they're no longer looking to me to satisfy they're no longer drinking from this spring of living water that they'll find in relationship with me. They're trying to find the satisfaction elsewhere. And the places they're looking for are like cracked sisters. They can't do the job. They can't really hold anything of value that will nourish the souls. And that's leading them to all these things that he then goes on to talk about. So that's what Jesus is referring to when he says, I can give you the living water. And she doesn't get it straight away. She thinks, is he just talking about the physical water? But how will he get that from the well? But he's talking about something else. I remember when I was on my own journey to faith. And I knew... I was longing for something. I was 18 years old, eventually 19 when I first became a Christian. But that year when I was 18, I was desperately longing for something. So I was throwing myself into all sorts of things. I was trying different things, all sorts of things. Because I knew that deep down, there's something I'm trying to find, and I just can't find it. And I had no idea what it was that I was looking for. I had no idea. But I was like this woman. I was desperate for something that would satisfy me on the inside. And she was looking for it too. And it's pretty clear that when the conversation goes there, the the fact that Jesus raises the topic of these relationships that she's had, we're meant to see the link there. She's been looking to her relationships with men as a way of satisfying her. And it hasn't been working out for her. I wonder what it is for you. I wonder what the thing is that you go back to time and time again thinking, well, this will satisfy me. This will make me feel okay on the inside. But you know it doesn't do it. It might not even necessarily be a bad thing. It might not be something you'd say, this is wrong. It just can't do what you're looking to it to do. And what Jesus is saying is, I can give you that living water. I can meet the need. I'm the one who can provide that satisfaction that you're so desperately looking for and you can't find anywhere else. Isn't that an amazing promise? That's the promise that he makes her. But then he goes on three chapters later and makes the same promise to each one of us. John chapter seven from verse 37. On the last day of the festival, the great day, While Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty, so not just the woman by the well, but anyone who is thirsty. Are you thirsty this morning? Well, these words are for you. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. He said this about the spirit which believers in him were to receive. Meeting with Jesus is an utterly transformative thing. I can think of different meetings I've had. I can think of different people that I've seen where I'd say, you know what? That, that had an impact on me. That changed the way I think. or That changed my life in some way. But none of it comes close to meeting with Jesus. This is on a different level. So I wonder what your experience has been of meeting with Jesus. Maybe you've got a story to tell too. This woman in John 4, she has a story to tell of meeting with Jesus. And she goes back to her, she even leaves her water jar by the well, that's how eager she is, to get back to the town and tell this story. She has a story to tell of meeting with Jesus. I have a story to tell, meeting with Jesus, 19 years old. And I know that many of you in this room you've got a story to tell as well. Maybe this is new to you. Maybe you don't have that story yet, but you want one, and this promise is for you. What John wants you to know is that thirst you've got inside, it can be quenched, and Jesus is the one who can do it. This offer of living water wasn't just for her then, and it wasn't just for me 20-odd years ago. It's for you today. That's what's on offer. Verse 14, those who drink of the water I will give them will never be thirsty. Thanks for listening. Christ Church Manchester is one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media. And you're welcome to check out the music links. Featured in this episode. From our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays. And various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us. Or wish to join us for one of our meetings. Please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.